0: Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Continuing our study of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And we've made it to chapter 3. I'll read verses 1 through 13. Follow as I read Ephesians 3 1 through 13. This is the Word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Amen. Uh, There's a lot in here. Can't cover it all. We're going to be back in this section next week. But the first few things I want us to notice uh, here have to do with the mystery being made known. That's a big theme in the section. You might have noticed the term mystery in there I think four times. Verse 3, Paul says that the mystery was made known to him by revelation. He he also talks about this in Galatians chapter 1 where uh, he says that it was made known to him, the gospel was made known to him by direct revelation from Jesus. Listen to Paul... Galatians 1, 11 and 12, he says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So in that section in Galatians, Paul is defending his apostolic authority um, because he was added to the apostles later. Many people question whether he was truly an apostle. And you can imagine, uh, even the apostles were skeptical at first as well. I mean, they should have been. Here comes this guy and, uh, you know, he shows up on the scene. Nobody's seen him in a while. He says, hey, I'm an apostle. And, uh, you know, there are very few people on earth, as far as Jesus is concerned, that he's given this authority to. The apostle is the highest authority in the church. And he's saying he's one of them. And not long ago, he was killing Christians. So, you know, they're a little skeptical. Uh, But after they checked him out and heard what he had to say, the other apostles were convinced that he was one of them because of the message that was deposited and entrusted to him. Jesus had entrusted Paul with the Gospel as well. Paul was an apostle. We're going to talk more about that in a second. Uh, More on the mystery being made known. Verses 4 and 5. Paul says that the mystery is Jesus Himself. Uh, And he says that the mystery was not made known in previous generations like it was made known in his generation to the apostles and prophets. Now, this is a reference to the New Testament prophets, uh, not the Old Testament prophets. He's talking about this generation, Paul's generation. Maybe you've never thought about New Testament prophets. We'll talk about that in a second as well. Verse 9, the plan of salvation in Christ, that's always been the plan, but it was hidden for ages. And, and Paul's apostolic role was to bring what was once hidden, salvation in Christ, to light for everyone. Uh, so a little bit more about the apostles and prophets. We have our Bibles packaged for us all nice and neat in, in leather-bound coverings. And most of us don't really struggle with the fact that the Bible is our sole authority for life. But in Paul's day, they didn't have the New Testament yet. And so how do they know what's true? I mean, they, they, you know, agreed, okay, the Old Testament. But how do they know what's true as far as what we now know is the New Testament? We get the Gospel from the New Testament. How did the early church know and get the Gospel? The simple answer is that Jesus appointed apostles. Uh, The apostles were Jesus' authorized representatives that carried His Word to the world. So you think about, like, if the president is in a... Room and he's talking to the those that are in highest command and he says this is how it's going to be. Let's say he's declaring war and then they go out and they say he's declaring war. I mean they're speaking. It's as though as though the president is speaking through his authorized representatives. Right. It's the same. It's the same idea. Um. So. Uh, salvation in Christ was a great mystery for the longest time. It was hidden for ages. That doesn't mean it wasn't being developed, uh, but it was not explicitly revealed until Jesus came. And uh, at this time, salvation had just come to fruition in Jesus' life and ministry, and His death and resurrection. And, And Jesus appointed His authorized messengers, His apostles, to carry the message of His salvation to the world. Now, We take His Word to the world too, right? But not like the apostles. They were the vehicles of God's divine revelation. They carried the Bible in their hearts and in their minds. And then they wrote it down for the instruction of all future generations. So Jesus gave the apostles direct revelation. He gave them His Word directly. um, And He gave us His Word through His apostles. Actually, our, our passage says through the apostles and prophets. So what's the difference? Um, this is, I, I, don't, I don't pretend to know exactly how this all works out, but this is the best I can understand. Uh, Jesus gave His Word directly to the apostles, and the New Testament prophets were those uh, that were there with the apostles during those days, and they were helping them get the Word out. So there's these different tiers of command, but it's all the same edict and they're getting the same thing out. Um, So remember that the scriptures weren't written down right away. At first the Bible was an oral tradition, not a written tradition. And the Bible, like I said, was carried in hearts and minds. Uh, Also, Christianity was growing rapidly and a lot of people saw the power that was at work in and through the apostles and they wanted the same power. So they thought Uh, I'll come up with my own message and I'll get my own followers and look at those guys. Like, they got a lot of people, there must be a lot of money, you know, whatever it is. Um, So these were false teachers. False teachers are mentioned everywhere throughout the New Testament because it was such an issue at the time that all of this was... I mean, there's false teachers today, but um, you can imagine kind of the intensity of that then. So how are people supposed to know how to identify the true message? Well... The true message was simply the message of the apostles. Whatever those guys say, those are the men that Jesus appointed. Guys like Peter, James, John, Matthew, Paul. Jesus gave them His Word, as Paul said, directly. Now, the church did not have all of their writings yet. I mean, they were being written, you know, throughout those years. But these guys were alive, and they were in agreement, and they could tell you what the message was. And the New Testament prophets were those that were communicating the apostolic Word from place to place. Uh, They had a key role in preserving the truth when it was distributed orally. They were speaking the Word of God. It wasn't given to them directly, it was given to the apostles directly, but they were sent from the apostles to, you know, tell everybody the Word until it could be written down. So, does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions about that? Brandon would love to answer them if you do. Uh, Alright, so the, uh, the mystery of salvation in Christ was hidden for ages, but at this time, God was making it explicitly known through the apostles. Uh, and of course, it's been explicitly known ever since, first through oral testimony, then it was written down. Uh, it's still be, being made explicitly known as we open our Bibles. We live in this amazingly privileged time in human history when we have the whole thing packaged for us, and we can look back on everything from beginning to end. You know, we've talked about this before. But the prophets who were prophesying about Jesus to come—they didn't even know what they were saying. I mean, they knew it was good, but they really didn't know exactly what they were saying or who they were saying it about. They just knew, like, God's doing this thing, and this, and and the Messiah is going to come. They didn't know when. They didn't know who. Um, But we get to look back, and we see it all connected. But the point is, for the longest time, salvation in Christ was a mystery. It was hidden. It was not absent. It was hidden. But now it's made known. So, how was it hidden? Somebody shoot. One way we talked about a couple weeks ago was that uh, it was hidden in the temple worship in Israel, right? So, what was the high priest all about? That was about Jesus. What were the sacrifices all about? They were about Jesus. And we talk about this stuff a lot in here, about how salvation in Christ was hidden in the Old Testament. Um, It was there. We were moving towards it. It was being developed, uh, but it was hidden. It was hidden in the sacrifices. It was hidden in the high priest. Another way that it was hidden was it was hidden in the covenants. Um, You know, we talk about covenants in bits and pieces, but uh, today I want us to connect some more dots in the covenants because it's actually, it was at least in our last passage and we didn't get to it. Um, How salvation in Christ was hidden in former covenants, but has now been revealed in the new covenant, uh, where the former covenants find their ultimate fulfillment. So I want us to see how the covenants are connected. Look, at, uh, look back at Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 13. And look, this is a <coughs> cursory view. I mean, some of you guys are studying that third millennium material and going into this in great detail. And if you're wondering, huh, what's that all about? There's, uh, you know, ask questions about it, and there's opportunity for you to do that as well. But cursory view, looking at the connectivity of the covenants. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, we Gentiles were once far off, we've been brought near in Christ. Verse 12 says, we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Well, two weeks ago we saw how that is no longer true because we who believe in Christ are members of the true Israel. Remember, Paul says, a Jew is not merely one outwardly, but inwardly. I mean, those who have the faith of Abraham. So also in verse 12, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. That's no longer true. In Christ, we are the true benefactors of the covenants. Um, Notice that it says covenants, plural, of promise, singular. Multiple covenants, one promise. Uh, Many covenants held together by a single promise. What promise is that? Even before that, uh, Abraham's a part of it, but even before that, the Genesis 3 promise. Genesis 3.15, often called the first gospel. So after the fall, even in the middle of the curses, God promised Eve, uh, He promised the serpent, but it's a promise that involves Eve, that Eve would have a descendant who would crush the head of the serpent. That's a promise, uh, that's the promise that we're talking about, and it's, the pro- it's a promise of Christ. It's a promise of salvation in Christ. Uh, Jesus is ultimately the one that came and defeated the serpent, defeated Satan and sin and death. And so the promise was initially made in Genesis 3.15, and as we travel throughout the rest of redemptive history, we see that God made covenants, like with Abraham. Um, covenant is simply a way to say that's the way God establishes a relationship. And these covenants are a confirmation of the promise that was initially made in Genesis 3.15. All God's covenants are connected by the promise in Genesis 3. The covenants are a fleshing out of the promise of Christ. So let's think about uh, four covenants. Often, I I think they're the main four. There are other covenants, like that of Noah. We're not going to talk about that, but there are four main redemptive covenants. Abraham, Israel, David, and New. Um, Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, which is with Israel through Moses. Davidic covenant with David, the new covenant in Christ. Genesis 12, God called Abraham to follow him. Genesis 15, God made a covenant uh, with Abraham, often again called the Abrahamic covenant. What is the main part of the promise that God made, or the main promise that God made to Abraham in that covenant? Yeah, descendants. I mean, he promised him... That's right. He, he promised him descendants. As many as are stars in the sky. Out of you, I'm going to make a great nation. Um, and, and you're going to have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. You fast forward to the next book of the Bible, Exodus 20, God's covenant with Israel through Moses. In a word, uh, what is that covenant about? Law. Law. Fast forward to God's covenant with King David, Second Samuel seven. What was that covenant about? Throne, king, a king, and uh, the the king of God's everlasting kingdom. So here's the thing: though these covenants are distinct, they are not disconnected. They are all connected by the promise. They are the covenants of promise. And all these covenants are fulfilled in the new covenant in Christ where the promise is fulfilled. So listen to Galatians 3.16. This is speaking about Abraham. Um, speaking about the promises that were made to Abraham. It says, Paul says in Genesis, I mean Galatians 3, um, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Now, the promise was for descendants, plural. As many as there are stars in the sky. But Paul here is saying that the promise for descendants was fulfilled through one descendant, Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ, we are Abraham's descendants. Abraham has as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, and that is true, that is fulfilled in Christ. Through the one descendant. That's how Abraham has all these descendants. Um, so the promised descendant of Genesis 3, the seed of the woman that will come and defeat the serpent, and the promised descendant of Abraham, they're the same person. I just wanted you to see how. They're covenants of promise. So uh, how about the law? How is, how is that keeping with what we're saying? Well, Jesus is the one who kept the law. And then he died as a curse under the law to free us from the curse of not having kept the law, right? The Mosaic Covenant was ultimately designed to help us better understand the promise of Genesis 3.15 about the, defendant, the descendant of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. Uh, the deception of the serpent led to sin and led to death. Jesus came to keep the law and to die under the law in order to pay for sin and defeat death in his resurrection. In so doing he was gaining victory over the serpent. So, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. And as we've talked about in here on a number of occasions, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. He is the king of God's everlasting kingdom. The point that I want you to see is that all the covenants are interconnected. They're distinct. They were made with distinct people at particular times and they're not they weren't the same times. And there were you know, different things that were said. At the same time, um, they were all connected by the promise of Genesis 3.15. And they were fulfilled when that promise was fulfilled in the new covenant in Christ. Jesus is the promise. He is the descendant of Abraham, through whom all the descendants come. He fulfilled the law, defeating Satan, sin, and death. He rose from the grave. He went back to heaven. And He rules as the forever King of God's forever kingdom the only kingdom that will endure forever. So, the text says in Ephesians 2, we were strangers to the covenants of promise when we were outside of Christ, but in Christ we're no longer strangers to the covenants. We've been established in the new covenant where all these former covenants are fulfilled. When understanding the structure of the Bible, there is perhaps no more important concept to understand than the concept of covenant. And if we're going to understand the covenants properly, we need to see that though they are distinct, they are all connected by the promise. They are connected uh, in Christ. So, Paul said that the mystery of salvation in Christ was hidden for ages. Uh, one way it was hidden was in covenants. But once what was once hidden has now been made known in Christ. Paul was an apostle. He was an appointed messenger of this Christ of the covenants and his job was to make the message known to mankind. As he says in Ephesians three nine, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery that was hidden for ages. Any questions about this?
1: Well, no, but I thought of another way um, that it is also hidden, especially <clears throat> from the, the probably, most conservative of the Jewish practices would have been through it, was hidden by <clears throat> the Levitical and liturgical practices of the, I guess, the Hasidic Jews, uh, and then and, uh, just maybe the, the Jewish nation. I um, read down in you were saying Ephesians 2, is that what we uh-huh. referenced a minute ago? So, <clears throat> you know, a little further down it says, um, verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments <clears throat> expressed and ordinances. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, I'm not smart enough to understand all that, but I get the part where he's saying uh, probably the abolishing of the highest importance of the liturgical practices, the highest importance of the Levitical practices of the, at that time the, the, the practicing hierarchy of you know Jewish leadership. It's saying there, it came to abolish that highest priority to them. You know, mm-hmm. it's being replaced. And so, come full circle, there was a hidden um, hidden revelation of, of what's being said. It, it was being obscured by the practices. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and sitting here this whole morning thinking, again, about our Jewish brothers and sisters today, not just this month, but all the way back. Why would they have been so opposed to this change, this covenant change, right? When we think about how drastic the change is, that the Abrahamic covenant to the Davidic covenant. Right. right? So it's, it's, it's a different message, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, they're, they're, they have a unifying theme, but it's, it's a very different aspect mm-hmm. of the promise. And so with the new covenant with Christ... It's a divergence away from the Davidic covenant, the one that preceded it. Right. And then it was, so you would have had the Davidic covenant, and it would have been reinforced through all those liturgical practices. Yeah. And what it's saying is here, it's come to abolish, not to say that they're not of worth, but it's a, it's setting the, the next level of the covenant to
0: it. Well, it's even saying, like, you know, he came to abolish the, part of the law expressing ordinances like the sacrifices yes. and that doesn't mean he threw them away it means he fulfilled them i mean he is the sacrifice that they were pointing to so that part is no longer needed and that's there's the division like you're saying this as yeah. the covenant progresses we get to the new covenant and people don't want to leave the old practices and we're saying no, no, no that's fulfilled it's not insignificant it helps us know jesus but he's here it's now it was hidden but it's not anymore sure. so come on over and people it, love tradition more than they, they love Christ.
1: Definitely about the tradition. It was interesting. The last part of the, uh, hold on, just a little slow. oh, in and, and verse 16, it was talking about thereby killing the hostility. Mm-hmm. That's what he was actually abolishing. You know, the, the prejudice against the circumcised versus the circumcised, the Jew versus the Gentile. Yeah. That's what it was killing, the hostility.
0: Yeah. And remember the wall of hostility and the temple worship. <laughs> I mean, he blew it all up. Nobody has better access to God than anyone else. It's we all can come in Christ or not come at all. Good thoughts. Um, So the next thing I want you to see in this passage in Ephesians 3 is that uh, humans are not the only ones to whom the mystery has been made known. Verse 10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It's kind of a different line of thinking uh, than we probably tend to think about. But here's what I think Paul is saying. So salvation in Christ was hidden for ages. Then it was revealed in Paul's day to Paul and the apostles and prophets through them to the world. And uh, we know that when the world started finding out, everything changed. I mean, how many billions of followers have there been since that day? You know, people that have followed Christ. The message went out. The church was born. The message continues to go out. The church continues to grow throughout the centuries. And through the church, salvation in Christ is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. To angels and demons. Now, it's not made known in the same way as though uh, they're converted. Like, you know, the message of salvation in Christ is, is for men. But they are watching... We don't tend to think about this. We we don't see angels and demons, but they see us. And they are watching as God's plan of salvation in Christ continues to unfold. The plan is made known to them. And it's not just watching. In Luke 15, Jesus said, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Someone becomes a Christian and there's a party in heaven with the angels. And the demons... They shudder every time the name of Jesus Christ is named. Satan and demons know that they are defeated in Christ. And the church is a global proclamation to their defeat. So every time a sinner repents and turns to Jesus, or every time a church or churches gather all over the world to worship Jesus, the angels rejoice and Satan and demons grovel in their defeat, uh, which is just being made more publicly known every Sunday (laughs) and Wednesday in the South. Um, (laughs) Pretty cool to think about. The the last thing I want us to think about from our passage, Uh, salvation in Christ was made known to Paul so that he would make it known to others. Uh, It was made known to the apostles and prophets so that they would make it known to the world. And though we are not apostles nor prophets... The same is true for us. Salvation in Christ has been made known to us in order that we would make it known to others. You know, so much of our life together is designed to mature us as Christians. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Uh, But maturity is not the end game. The end game is reaching the world for Christ, then discipling those that we reach. And in fact... If it's Christian maturity that we desire, which we all do, there's uh, nothing that will mature you quite like sharing the gospel with other people. Two birds with one stone. You get to mature and you get to reach the world. Uh, We want to have community. But if community ever becomes an end, uh, it ceases to be biblical community. We want to be a community on the mission. A community that reaches others for Christ and brings them back into the community so that they too can mature and reach others for Christ and bring them back in the community and you see how it goes. So, uh, making it more practical, I've challenged you in the past and the challenge still stands. I've challenged you to find someone who's not walking with the Lord uh, and by summer to ask them if they would be willing to read through a book of the Bible with you. I think it's a great method of evangelism Um, As you read through the Bible, opportunities would arise very naturally, just as questions about a passage or whatever it is. You don't have to have all the answers. Uh, You don't have to have most of the answers, but they are here, and you just have to, you know, get them in front of the Word with you there. Um, So that challenge still stands. Summer is near, and... uh, You better start asking. You know, someone might say no, and you might have to ask two people, so you better start soon. Here's another challenge, and this one is more pressing. Uh, I want you to share the message of salvation in Christ with one person this week. Uh, Might be a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's someone working on your house. Maybe it's the person that you always see at the bank or at the grocery store. Could be in a face-to-face conversation, could be in an email, could be in a handwritten letter. Um, Just do it. It's intimidating for every single one of us. Just do it. Now, before I say anything else, I want to hear from you. Questions that you have about that, or uh, maybe it's questions about how to go about sharing, maybe it's objections and you think, I'm a crazy person.
1: childish thought, uh, Good. how many times I sang, uh, Father Abraham had many sons. And I know up until recently, I was like, I'm not really his son. <laughs> That's right. You know, like, how many years did I sing that as a kid? And it had so much more spiritual depth yeah. than I ever knew. And I think in the same way as, you know, I continue to read scripture and, uh, do a better job of getting closer to Christ you know how much more what I read says to me uh, you know it brings up things that I've known you know I've known the, the words and the you know the general big picture but not you know some of those revelations mm-hmm.
0: now don't you want to bring someone else into that and let them enjoy the same <laughs> the same joy maybe uh, maybe think I'd love to do that Uh, I have no idea how I would approach it. And that's okay. Here's an idea. It's not revolutionary, uh, but it is pretty forward. Let's say it's someone at work. You ask them to go to lunch. And uh, at lunch, at some point, after you shoot the breeze, you ask them if they know Jesus. Uh, That should be a conversation starter. Or, you know, you ask them if they ever think about heaven. Um... Maybe that's a a less confrontational way. And then you ask them if they're going there. And uh, then ask how they know that they're going there. And I bet you, seven out of ten times, if not more, that question will return a lot of answers about personal performance. Well, I mean, I've I've been pretty good. You start checking, you know. (laughs) making sure like I haven't killed anyone and I've been a pretty good person and there's an open door. I mean, if we've been trained and equipped to do anything at this church, we've been trained and equipped to speak into that. That we don't get to heaven based on our own merit, our own performance, but on God's grace in Christ. I would say this, the only way to get better at sharing the gospel is by attempting to share the gospel. Um, You might stumble over your words Oh well. You know, God uses flawed means to accomplish his ends. And uh, someone might get saved. I think it's worth feeling a little embarrassed. Someone might be encouraged. In our culture, there's a lot of not just unchurched non Christians, but a lot of de churched Christians that, for whatever reason, are not in the church and are far away from any fellowship and have made decisions that have ruined their life or whatever. Um,. So uh, this coming up in my lesson on Sunday, I think, well, I had better, you know, do what I say. And uh, we happened to have someone working on our house yesterday. And I was like, okay, you know, uh, (laughs) they're here. And that's one of the people that I'm applying this towards. So I guess I should try to talk to them. And uh, I was talking about the rotten wood that they're replacing or whatever. And uh, this guy, Stan, says a couple things that were just, I just, I knew I could jump in on him. Now the question is, are you going to follow up? You know, it could be like, oh, great, back in the house, you know. But he said something. He said, I'm a a black sheep in my family, Uh, and kind of laughed. And he said, I'm adopted, two times, you know. And I was both times thinking, well, black sheep are loved in Christ, and we're all adopted in Christ. So there's two things that I could follow up with. So I asked him, what makes you the black sheep? well, I've just done things that my family's not proud of. You know, I'm adopted and and I'm kind of the out here thing. And so, stumbling, bumbling words, uh, I just try to capitalize on that and say, you know, aren't we all black sheep and yet God loves us and sent Christ to die for our sins and cleans us up and makes us as though we were pure and spotless sheep? And we're all adopted into God's family in Christ, so that's why I said, "I said I'm adopted too." He's like, "Really?" That's right. Like, well, not in the same way, but uh, and here's the thing: this guy, he's a pretty rough guy. Uh, I I gather that he's had a pretty rough stretch, possibly a long stretch. But by the end of his stay in my yard, we were praying not to receive Christ, but I think he's a Christian. And it was just this, like, to me, it was so comforting to think, how often do I see those opportunities, and maybe they don't come up right away, but I go back in and think, oh, I could have said something. Well, it's like, well, even if it's odd to go back out and say, hey, you said this, and I was thinking, what about, you know, I don't know. I mean, these are just the natural conversation ways that we can engage with people. And look, I'm not good at it. I mean, I'm just as scared as you are to do it, but but I... The more I get to know this message, this reality, I'm saved. I mean, I'm saved from hell, and I'm saved from God's wrath, and not because I'm a white sheep. I was a black sheep. And other people need to know that. You're a black sheep? Cool. You'll fit right in. we got a lot of them, you know? It's all based on Him, not on anything you've done. And uh, I just wanted to read this last this passage in Acts 4 and in this way. Um, And I'll pray and we'll be done. Acts chapter 4. So, uh, this is the uh, governing authorities, the Jewish authorities, speaking to Peter and John. Acts 4, uh, verse 18. No, 17. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, that Christianity may spread no further among the people, let us warn them, Peter and John, to speak no more to anyone in this name. Stop naming the name of Jesus. Stop talking about it. So they called them, verse 18, and charged them not to speak or teach. It's interesting to me. The thing they were really concerned about was not helping the poor, though that's a part of what we're doing, was not the healing and miracles and stuff, though that's a part of what's going on in all of this. It was what they were talking about. The big thing that the opponents didn't want was for you to keep saying that thing that you say and things happen. Charge them not to speak or teach at all In the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. That's a simple, beautiful answer. Look, man, we've seen this thing. It's been revealed. It was hidden for ages. Not anymore. God's opened our eyes. We understand Jesus is Lord. He saved us from our sins. You can't stop us. That's our chief allegiance. Uh, We're going to talk about it. Look at uh, further down, starting in verse 29. So Peter and John get released. They're like, eh, we can't do that. But then they get to go. They can't figure out how they're going to charge them. And they go back to the other believers, and they're rejoicing. And they pray in verse 29 and following. And now, Lord... Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Again, the thing that they know, if we've got to do anything, we've got to say. We've got to speak. The message has to come out of our mouth. Let us continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit." and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So, context is different. Uh, our lives aren't usually on the line, though certainly that could change. And uh, But they were scared. We get scared. We might feel like cowards when we get scared. I don't know that we should. I think it's intimidating. We don't know how people are going to react. It's scary. But they pray, Lord, we know that we're here to speak. And so... Help us do that faithfully with boldness. Um, And they get filled with the Spirit. I mean, it was Acts 2 when they got filled with the Spirit for the first time. And it's like, we're in Acts 4 and they're already needing more help. You know, it's like this whole revolutionary, game-changing thing when the Spirit comes and lives inside of Christians, that changed everything. And then it's like two chapters and they, they need more, you know. It's not that the Spirit left, but it's like, we need more of your strength. We can't do this in our own strength. And uh, that's a great prayer to pray in Acts 4 as you share with that one person this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, it, is, it we're all black sheep. Uh, Lord, the, the lamb that you require is perfect, spotless, blameless, without blemish. We're not them. Jesus is. And Lord Jesus, you were sacrificed uh, to pay our sin debt, to cover us uh, so that we could go free. And Lord, that's good news. We we know it deep in our souls that uh, without you and without Christ, we are hopeless. And I pray that you would, uh, just as you have for uh, thousands of years, that you you. Uh, downloaded the message in others uh, so that they would tell it to others. And I pray you do the same with us. Give us opportunities, open doors, give us strength, fill us with your spirit, give us the words to say, give us the thoughts to think, give us the courage that we need uh, to be faithful with proper boldness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.